This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at CraftSanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and this is the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing... Hello and welcome to episode 187. On this episode, I'm going to have a conversation with Wendy Bernard, a knitwear designer who is based in Southern California, and she has written some really great books. She's the author of the Custom Knit series, the Up Down All Around Stitch Dictionary, and her new book is The Knitting All Around Stitch Dictionary, 150 New Stitch Patterns to Knit Top Down, Bottom Up, Back and Forth, and In the Round. This is a really fantastic book because... There's so much in it, first of all, so it automatically has a place in my reference section for knitting books. And what I love about it is that it has the patterns written out, also in chart form, and you literally can swap these stitch patterns very easily into patterns that you have around your house that you know, were written by others. This is also very inspiring for those of you who are knitting your own designs you know, or maybe looking to start designing your own patterns. I really strongly recommend that you check this book out. So Wendy and I are going to have a conversation about you know how she got into knitting and started designing because this wasn't really her intention at all. And she is really good at it. So it's really great how you know often we end up doing things we never really intended and things work out and for Wendy that's definitely been the case so uh, settle in with a project maybe knitting would be appropriate this time and we're going to launch into that discussion with Wendy and before we do I want to thank my Patreon sponsors and you know everyone who has sponsored this show in some way shape or form and sometimes it's just as simple as people who send me a thank you note and say hey thanks for doing the show I mean I appreciate that so much so uh, thank you all for listening I really appreciate that I also want to thank acshomeandwork.com for sponsoring the show. Thanks to everyone who helps keep this show going. I really do appreciate it. All right. So without further ado, let's launch right into that conversation with Wendy Bernard. Welcome, Wendy, to the Craft Sanity Podcast. I'm really excited about your new book. In fact, when it came to my house, I get a lot of review copies of books. And when yours came to my house, I actually immediately photographed it and put it on Instagram. It's absolutely beautiful. It's called The Knitting All Around Stitch Dictionary, 150 New Stitch Patterns to Knit Top Down, Bottom Up, Back and Forth, and In the Round. <laughs> Did I leave anything yeah, out? in the round. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> well, I, I guess we could add... Everything is charted and written out. Yes. So people have preferences. Sometimes people don't like the chart. 
and they're like, I don't know how to read a chart and I don't want to mess with it. But the cool thing about this book is if you're used to reading things written out, you like written out patterns, you're good to go. But this is also a great book to use to learn to read charts because right next to the written out instructions, there's a chart. So if you're not sure when you're looking at the chart, you can go over to the directions and kind of find your way through. So it could be an independent study and chart reading as well. It's a really awesome book and it looks like it took forever to write. Did it take forever <laughs> to write this? A book does take a lot longer than most people think. I think that from beginning to end, because we did want it, um, this one to go a little bit faster than the first one because there was a lot of demand um, and also copy, you know, the idea of copycats was in our head. So this one, let me think, maybe about nine months of actual work. And then uh, maybe a few extra months of back and forth editing and whatnot. So yeah, you know, you're usually looking fast. about yeah, you're usually looking at at about the time it takes to have a baby. That's what they usually say. <laughs> Did you make all these samples yourself? Did you do every sample? I typically do, and when I have to have a sample made, um, I will ask uh, somebody to knit for me, and I I do pay them, you know, so. Um, but it doesn't happen very often. Luckily, I have the time to do it myself. So do you have a whole pile of swatches around your house? I have hundreds. I have boxes. Because with each book, there are a number of swatches, obviously. And then there are a number of swatches that are kind of throwaway or bummers, you know, that didn't work out. And I save everything. And I honestly have two huge boxes filled with swatches. And maybe uh, someday after we you know, sometimes they make the rounds. Sometimes I send them out for people to photograph or, you know, to have on display. Uh, but I'm thinking that I might sew them all together and make this giant afghan. Oh, it would be beautiful. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Be beautiful. Yeah, because yeah, even on the cover of your book, I mean, I when I first saw that, I thought, oh, you know, for people, when they're trying out a new stitch pattern, it's fun to... Um, make something bigger than a swatch if you want. I mean, you could make like a, um, these would make great even like the most ornate pot holders ever. Like, and I think just hanging yeah. them up on a clothesline in your kitchen would actually be quite beautiful. Um, even if you uh -huh. never use them. <laughs> I use them as coasters. Yeah. I use them as coasters. Well, yeah. That's actually a great, a great, uh, way to use the swatch when you end up with the squares. Cause a lot of people skip that and it's always a disaster. Anytime I've skipped the, I've, I always regret it. And I, I've gotten better about not skipping the testing phase of starting. A new you need pattern. to. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, whenever I teach classes or if I talk to other knitters, they say, um, do I really need to swatch? And I usually answer, well, yeah, if you want it to fit, you need, it, you need <laughs> to swatch it. Right. Otherwise you're just <laughs> you wasting know? tons of time. Yeah. I mean, Although a lot of people have a different attitude. I think that Elizabeth Zimmerman, we all know who she is, right. has written that instead of swatching, she would just cast on for a hat. Or a lot of people say, I just want to do a sleeve. And that's, that's fine. But the thing is, is that you're going to end up ripping out a lot more stitches than you would if you just cast on, you know, enough to make a few inches, four inches or so. Right. I don't know. I, li I like swatching because it's, it serves a really important function. And that is, if you're doing anything other than, let's say, stockinette or garter stitch, let's say you're doing uh, a, an ornate lace pattern or even a more ornate rib pattern, not only will you find out if your yarn works with that particular stitch pattern, and you know that a lot of yarns don't, they, they don't work with every single stitch pattern. They don't, right. you know, they don't lend themselves. Um, you'll have a chance to get to know the stitch pattern. 
So your brain has some muscle memory, as it were. So once you get down to casting on and working on your project, you will have had experience with that stitch pattern and probably not as make as many mistakes and not have to rip back as much. So there's more to just swatching and just finding out if your gauge is right. Right. No, I, I agree uh, that yeah. it's, it's, it's always been a big mistake. My first sweater that I attempted was and I skipped the swatch and I seriously, I could not even get it over my head. Like, it was such a, it was, it was hand spun. My first, um, my first attempt at hand spinning. Uh-huh. To, I mean, it was an absolute train wreck disaster. You mean it, it was hand spun that you like made? I spun. Yeah. I, I, it was like a sheep to sweater attempt here. And let okay, me just you're tell gonna you, die. it was terrible. Go ahead. <laughs> you're going to die though. Guess what? My first sweater was made out of what? It was homespun, but not by me. It was by Lion Brand. Oh, <laughs> mine was actual like I spun it myself. Yeah. Oh my gosh, but homespun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It is just. Um, did you swatch for that first one? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, so people need to listen to you because you've you've made that mistake yourself. What were you attempting to do for people? Because you have you've saved us so much time and energy. What what were you what was your goal with this book? Well, um as I started designing, I'm not a trained designer by any means. And as I started making patterns, my brain just sort of said to me, Wendy, let's knit in the round, let's knit upside down. I don't know why. That's just the way I approached it, nobody told me how. I just sort of figured it all out. I mean, I had the help of Barbara Walker, of course, and other people who had kind of done that thing before. But I, that's just the way I approached it. And I found that as I was incorporating motifs into my first sweaters, that, whoops, you know, it, the stitch pattern that I have from the Barbara Walker treasury, every single one of them is written for flat and, uh, you know, bottom up. And it was kind of this uh, what's going on? I, you know, I, I, like I said, I was very inexperienced. I had no idea. And so I would try to just start knitting it in the round. And then of course it didn't work out. And then it also occurred to me that I need to get graph paper and figure out how to make the wrong sides into right sides. And so, uh, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, obviously other people had done some of this work before and I did end up discovering some discussions about it, but there were very few discussions about converting flat pieces into round pieces. Um, so each pattern that I did, I'd have to re-engineer it. And it started to occur to me that, and very secretly, because I didn't tell anybody about this, because I thought, oh, maybe you know, there's a book here. Um, it started to occur to me that if I could kind of start a listing of all the patterns that I have converted, and then it further occurred to me that, hey, there's so many thousands of existing stitch patterns in the universe wouldn't it be wonderful to make a reference book that not only um, provides patterns flat in their original orientation, but to also write them out and chart them because you see all these online discussions about people who hate charts and who hate this or love this or love that or prefer this or prefer that, but to give them a reference that includes the flat written and charted and then also in the round and if possible upside down so they can keep that leaf motif flowing in the right direction. Um, so I approached my publisher because I had at this point written three other books. Uh, they were the custom knits books and they thought this was a really great idea. And then we did it. And that's kind of how it all came into being. 
Well, and it's lovely, too, because the photography is really cool, um, just the colors that you selected. So it's not just this. I mean, it's it's fun to page through it, and and you've presented this work in a way that's visually appealing. So um, I can see this book being a wonderful tool for other designers out there, from the hobbyist at home to people who are actually actively de designing and selling patterns because you've mm -hmm. taken a lot of that legwork out of um you know, that, you know, they can just sit down and get to work, um, which is right. great. So you've accomplished, um, you, you've definitely been able to put out some books recently that are those reference books that go on the, on the shelf to keep, not the ones you weed out. And they out. stay. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Stay. <laughs> and it has staying power. Yeah. And I, that is definitely the mark of an excellent book. And this one is, I know it's on my um, reference shelf. Um, well, it's actually on my desk right now. It's right in front of me, but I have a spot for it um, where this one stand on the shelf and not going to be, um, I, the person would have to be a really good friend for me to loan this to because I want this <laughs> to make sure I can, I can find it when I, when I want to work on something. And I, I really, and I enjoy too, the fact that it's not just, it's not just a reference book. You have patterns in here, full patterns. How many patterns do you have in this book? Well, there's only, there's one for each chapter and there are six chapters. Each of these patterns are, um, made so that you could swap in or out any stitch pattern that you would like. In the back, there is a reference area that I have some recipes, three different types of recipes. One is for socks that it's a generic sock recipe, but you get uh, these generic instructions for toe up and cuff down. And you can insert any motif that you like from the book. Uh, same thing for top down and bottom up caps. Same idea, you can insert any rib or whatever. And uh, then we have shawls that are triangular that you can work from the, you know, the narrow end to the top or the wide end to the bottom. So it gives you an opportunity to work any pattern and kind of sort of design on the fly on your own um, and work in an orientation that suits your brain and how you like to knit. Which is wonderful. So this book really does equip everyone to be their own, be a designer for their own original yeah. work, which is really fun and very, I love that. Yeah. 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 It's really great that you've been able to do this. Now I read in your book that you really never set out to become a designer of knitting mm. patterns. And so no. can you take me back a little bit to how you, you, you came to become the, you know, how you became a knitter and how you found yourself suddenly designing? I'm sure it wasn't sudden. Oh <laughs> no. Well, I mean, like a lot of people, uh, my grandmother taught me how to knit. Uh, I would think I was about eight years old, and I remember that she knit very simple things, you know, slippers. I think she might knit, might have knit two pairs of these slippers a year, and we would all wait in line, you know, for it to be our year. And she knit a couple afghans. I think I still have one. It's made of acrylic, so it's, you know, it's like iron. But, of course, now she passed away last year, and I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to, thank you. I don't want it to be ruined. And so about eight, you know, she taught me how to cast on backward loop method, uh, how to bind off and how to knit and to purl. And I made a bunch of squares. I never knit again after that really. And, uh, years passed, years passed. And, um, I, my, I was pregnant with my daughter and like a lot of people, I kind of gravitated back to the knitting and I got one of those, um, and Norling patterns with a little strawberry cap. Have oh, you yeah. seen those? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I've I have. got that pattern. I might even have it in I my went, house. <laughs> yeah, I went to the local yarn store and I asked to buy the items, and I kind of 
passed on and I kind of, I went on the internet and I learned how to, you know, I retaught myself how to do different things. Of course, I still did the backward loop uh, method. Later, I was uh, laughed at at that same yarn store for still doing backward loop even after I had begun knitting sweaters. I don't know why they mocked me, but, you know, that's just what I knew. And hey, it worked for you. I stuck with it. It worked for me. Now I don't necessarily use it all the time, but, you know, at the time, it made sense. And um, I, I was a marketing direct, director for a very, very large company out here. And some things happened with the pregnancy, and, and it's kind of a sad and long story, but I ended up quitting my job. And I there I found myself at home um, with with a baby in the hospital for months oh, because goodness. she was extremely premature. And I had been used to working for many years in the corporate world. So I had this totally different lifestyle all of a sudden sort of thrown at me. Mm-hmm. Then I bring home this, this infant, you know, I think she, by the time she got home, she was just still tiny, just barely five pounds and who slept a lot to me sleep all day long. And I was bored out of my mind. <laughs> and so I went online and I had knit that little strawberry cap and I knit one like a pumpkin. And I can tell you that orange does not look good on newborn babies. Um, <laughs> and uh, noticed that there were these knitting blogs. I, I found Glampire, um, Dominatrix. There was a number of I've the new ones, her. Mason Dixon. Yeah, yes. the Dominatrix. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's great. And so some of these people who were kind of on that cutting edge of the knitting blogs during the time, and I remember laying in bed at night and saying, I'm going to write a knitting blog. I didn't even know how to knit hardly. <laughs> so I started doing this, started kind of uh, picking up, I, I don't know if it was really unkind or not, but I would knit other people's patterns. And I would say, oh, this doesn't suit me. So I'm going to change this. And, oh, you know, so I started redesigning patterns that, you know, not really taking their stuff, but just kind of like adding a different sleeve or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I talk about it. And over time, I had no idea what was going on. By the way, it's called knit, knit and tonic. I love gin and tonic. So it was knit and tonic. And um, over time, I never looked at my stats. I had no idea about my readership. And I guess it was very getting pretty popular. And people started commenting, Wendy, why don't you write your own pattern, design your own pattern? I went, okay. And so I did. And the pattern started to sell online. This is kind of before Ravelry when a lot of us knit knit bloggers were actually able at the time to make a living off of selling PDF patterns. I put my daughter through private school (laughs) selling these PDF patterns back in the day. Wow, that's great. I know. And so, well, times have changed and people will tell you it's not exactly how it used to be, but it was just kind of in the beginning. And within about a year of all this going down, I got an email from a literary agent and she said, would you like to write a knitting book? And I went, well, I don't know how to design patterns. And she says, well, why don't you give it a try? And I said, okay. And that's honestly how it started. And how long ago was that? Well, I started the blog in 2005. I think I was signed by 2006 or seven, and my first book came out 2008. Okay. And that was custom knits. Yeah, it's so, crazy. Yeah, so you kind of basically just did your did your thing, and a literary agent found you just based on right. the work that you're putting out there and the following you had amassed, and then um, from there. So for you, this was just you didn't have to go chasing after an opportunity. You just kind of did your thing and created your own opportunity without really 
like thinking knowing it yeah i didn't even think of it no yeah it is yeah and now when you when you look back and i mean you when you're eight you probably when you put down knitting you probably weren't thinking at that point that that would become a whole new career for you after the corporate experience and how long were you in corporate you said you were doing marketing yeah i was a marketing director um let's see it was just basically from the moment that I left college, I started working for a magazine as an editor and it, but it kind of flowed into marketing. And then from there, um, I worked in publishing as a marketing manager. And then I got into the financial services, which is pretty dry. But <laughs> yeah, I did so internet. To, yeah. I, did, <laughs> I did a lot of internet marketing and the, the, I really, I don't want to name the company, but a really big company out here in Southern California. And it was, you know, 20 years at least. Well, so okay. it's and, a long time. And yeah. And you found yeah. yourself just kind of, um, you know, filling time basically as you were, you know, carrying, waiting for your baby to wake up, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Slept for years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I knit, I knit. And the thing is, I used to joke on my blog, it was really fun to knit for babies because you can force them to wear whatever it is that you made. <laughs> and they and, you can't know. protest, right? And they can't protest. And so, yeah, it's, it was a lot of fun. And it, like I said, it was sort of something that happened. I hate this phrase, but it was sort of organic. It just sort of happened. Yeah. I didn't really pursue it, uh, you know, and it was during a time when it was easy to be, get into this industry. Things have really changed. Things are a lot more competitive. And I think you and I were talking about the whole situation with um, devaluing some of the work that oh, designers, yeah. writers, yeah in general face and it's happening right now. And so um, I'm really, really lucky to have a relationship with Abrams. That is my um, publishing house. They're very good to me, Uh, but I'm one of the lucky ones that I didn't have to push too hard to get it to happen. I got, like I said, I'm very, very lucky. I have a wonderful team of copy editors, um, a technical editor who's been with me, Sue McCain, since day one, um, wonderful photographers, a wonderful team. So you're looking at this beautiful book, and even though I wrote it, I I had so much help and vision, and from Melanie Fallick too. I don't know if you know who she is. She's this yeah, amazing. I've interviewed her person. As well. Yeah, and and she really molded a lot of the, what you see in the book too. So um, it's not just me. I'm really lucky to have a whole group of people who, and this was a group effort in, in the end. So did, did Melanie, I know Melanie has since left um, the publisher, but did she work yes. with you on this book? Like, was she part of the team still when? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. Yeah, this book, she was my editor, yes. Okay. Okay, because I know books are coming out now that she still worked on because, you know, there's that lag time. Mm-hmm. So she still yes. has projects coming out. So, um, yes. So yeah, so you had um, an excellent group of people to work with. And I don't know if you have... Um, you know, any, I mean, there are a lot of people out there that, you know, I know when I, I came on the scene on the, you know, on the internet, I started my website and podcast, um, back in 2006. And at that time, and you mm-hmm. were about 2005. So right about that mm-hmm. time, um, it was like, you know, the, the wild west, like this, like new frontier right. here where you could just stake a claim, uh, get your URL and get some, get an audience, get some traffic. And, uh, there was, le- there were less people out there. So now there's, you know, everyone, it seems like everyone has a blog and their mom and dad have a blog and every, you know, everybody's blogging and everybody, there's so much out there. And so nobody, so nobody reads blogs anymore, basically. Now it's yeah. the Twitter thing it's and Instagram yeah. and all that. Yeah. So it's like, you have to kind of, you know. Um, kind of reinvent yourself in a way, but with the internet, while it's allowed a lot of us to have like the second career after leaving a more corporate setting, 
it's also uh, kind of been a thorn in our side in, a, in some cases too, because you know, we, we talked about the, uh, when all this information is swirling around for free online, uh, it's sometimes hard to get people to, to want to compensate you for your work. <laughs> so there's that challenge. But uh, do you have any advice for the folks out there who, you know, maybe they're, they're knitting at home right now or they're making something else in their home studio and they're, they dream of, of writing a book or, you know, becoming a designer or whatever it is that, that, that dream they have for themselves. Um, and maybe they're maybe chasing it a little more aggressively than you were. Cause you were trying to, you were doing something that you like to do while, you know, you were taking care of your daughter. Um, so th- some of these folks are actively maybe hoping that something turns into an opportunity. Do you have any advice for people? Cause you've been, you've been doing this a long time. Um, I don't know if there's anything that you would advise someone who might be newer to the scene and, hoping to, to make an opportunity for themselves. Is there any piece of advice you would like to share? Yeah. Um, and a few things, if you want to become the next, um, knitwear designer online, you know, personality or, cause there's a lot of personality stuff going on. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Definitely. Uh, don't, uh, undervalue your work by giving it away for free. Be very careful that if you do give it away for free, that it's to bring people back to your own website where they have opportunities to purchase um, your intellectual property. Mm-hmm. You've got to protect it. Um, like I said, don't put it all, all your eggs in one basket. So that means if you want to do PDF patterns, uh, you're going to do something else too. <laughs> teach. Um, you know, you've got to come up with a number of things to do within the knitting realm. Uh, even if it's sample knitting, uh, there's no way that you can make a living wage on this. Uh, and as far as writing books are concerned, um, again, you think that somebody write, writes a book that they are making a lot of money. They don't actually make a lot of money. <laughs> it's just uh, it's something that you do as a labor of love. And if you do it as a labor of love and you really enjoy it, then it's worth what you get out of it. But only a small percentage of people actually can uh, do this sort of thing and um, not have another job if they don't have a support system. I'm lucky and that I have a husband who has, he actually works two jobs. So we do have um, three incomes basically coming in, mm-hmm. but it, you know, you, you can't, I mean, it's, I, I can only name a handful of people. And I know a lot of people in this business who make enough money that they can on their own make a living. So it's, it's something that you have to do because you love it. Mm-hmm. And that's the reality right now. In addition to your blog, uh, what other social media types of things do you enjoy doing? Well, I can tell you right now that one thing that I don't do is Facebook. I keep Facebook for my friends and family only mm-hmm. and maybe a handful of other fellow designers who I've met in person. But other than that, I keep my private private. I think that I've never show I show my daughter, but I don't talk, I don't ever say her name. And my husband has been kept under wraps too just because uh if you've got a blog, you know, you obviously tell personal stories, but um you keep you got to keep that separate. You can't get the emotions into, you know, your work. Uh, I notice some bloggers, they, they show their upsetness or they speak politics. So that's just one thing I'm going to put out there. I stay away from all that stuff. I think it's really important for a professional, even though they, they have a persona. I think my persona is very approachable and fun and all this, but you got to keep a lot of yourself out of it because you, at, at, so, social media is so personal that if you let it all hang out, then it's always out there. You, right. you know, you, you got to always know, understand back. that. 
You can't grab it. You back. can't take it back. Right. Like last night, my husband was making some mashed potatoes <laughs> and he likes, I make homemade yogurt and it's really nice in mashed potatoes. And he puts a huge blob of, of yogurt in there. And I say, honey, once you put it in, you can't take it out, but you can always <laughs> add a little bit more. Right. And so that's how you, social media, you got to really think before you snap that picture, think before you say something. Because once it's there, it's there even more so, so than it used to be back in 2005. Um, so there's that. So no Facebook for me. But in terms of my business and my blog and the fun stuff, I have my blog, uh, which is knitandtonic.net. And I also have Twitter. Um, Twitter has been really, really good for me. I just have, I feel comfortable with that format. Um, it's something that you can, you know, you can use to promote um, you can also add some funny things that you have thought of, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a great uh, platform. Um, mine, my handle, I guess you could call it is at Nittonic Wendy. And then Instagram is also a nice platform there. I do have more personal pictures, um, but Instagram, you can kind of do that because there's not much explanation. You don't have to say who's in the picture. You don't have to, you right, know. You can just put a picture so, up and call it good. Put a picture up. And I do have a mixture of personal and knitting. Um, so those three are the mainstays for me. And um, Pinterest, I, ha- I haven't really gotten the handle of that. A lot of people love Pinterest. I know that my sister actually does boards just for her son's haircuts. I don't know, but I don't <laughs> have the time. It's not my thing. I do search for um, inspiration, though. I mean, Pinterest is great for that. But personally, I just use Instagram, my blog, and Twitter. Those are the three biggies for me. And what, on Instagram, what is your handle on Instagram? Oh, gosh. Let me look. It's, I always have Knit Tonic Wendy or Wendy Knit Tonic. I okay, somehow can't so get it all straight. They can search those two options and find you. Yeah. Yeah. It's Oh, Knit and Tonic. Sorry, is my... Instagram is knit and tonic. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I think, like I said, it sounds like you have, you've picked three things that work for you and really just mm-hmm. been able to, and your approach too, is you keep things very focused on, you know, with your website and uh, you keep things focused on your knitting and your projects and kind of keep it streamlined. A little personal. Yeah. A little bit personal, a little but, personal. but not, um, not so like, woe is me or um, I'm having a oh, terrible day yeah. and like all this. And so people or my can, health. Right. Yeah, and and these are thing. things that, oh, I mean, gets to me. we have our first generation of kids right now. Some of these children have grown up online without their consent. Um, mm-hmm. Their moms have blogged the daylights out of every mm-hmm. waking moment of these children's lives. And um, I have shown my kids on my blog. My kids have appeared with me on TV, on local TV shows. We do, we've done craft segments together and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I've been very... Um, deliberate and careful about every single option even when they were tiny kids like we did a lemonade stand one time on tv and i said to my girls you know i can we can make this and i can go take it to the tv station and present it to the viewers and show them how to make it without you there or would you like to come and at that particular time i had one daughter that wanted to come and the other that did not Mm -hmm. and so i'm like okay you know we made that work but um yeah i i think that's um so you've made that choice to kind of keep your family life you know, just kind of keep, give your, give your, is it, do you have one child or, or more than one child? I have, I have one daughter named, um, girlfriend. We don't, I've never used her real name. Some of my closer friends do know her name and sometimes people in comments will use her name and I, I go right and delete it. Oh, she, yeah. I, yeah, I do. Um, I have shown her as she's grown up, but uh, less and less. So she's 13 now going on 14 
and I value her privacy. Yeah. You know, when she's a baby, a little bit different, but I kept it light. But nobody, you know, she doesn't need to be in every conversation anymore. She's her own person. Right. And I, and my blog is not as rich because of it. People did come to see girlfriend because she was, she had a lot of funny stories, a lot of fun things going on growing up, but it's time to move on and let her have her life. And my husband's always been off limits and that's just the way it is. So, and in Instagram, Instagram though, there are a couple pictures of him that people really want to look. I've, I, you know, I've, Finally, I did show him after all these years, and somebody said, "Oh, there's we." I call him H W W or they H W W V, which stood for He Who Wore Versace. Because back when we <laughs> were first dating, we could afford Versace, and it wasn't it it was popular. So yeah, he did, but no longer. Um, but yeah, I think it's really fine um, to talk about some of your personal life, but don't get into your health problems. Don't complain, and um, keep your personal, personal, you know, I think that's really an important thing. Yeah. And then you'll have less explaining to do when your children grow up. Cause that's the thing. Our kids grow up and if they mm-hmm. look back in the archives and they see like a bunch of um, naked tub photos or something when they're babies and that they didn't consent, they consent to, they might get upset with us. <laughs> no, no. And, and she liked it, you know, a uh, girlfriend liked, she likes seeing herself there once in a while and sometimes we'll say, well, you want to take a picture of me in this? And I kind of say, yeah, but then I think twice about posting too much. So yeah, I think it's a really good guideline for anybody if it's just a small little blog or if it's a bigger one. It, it's just always a good idea. What are you looking forward to as far as what's next for you? Are there projects on your list, things you want to do, maybe books you want to write or other things that you want to explore that you haven't had an opportunity to do so yet? I think... A third volume might be something I want to do uh, because three just sort of seems like a nice number for volume. Yeah, volumes one through three, yep. and there are so many more stitch patterns. I sort of talking about this with my publisher. We'll wait and see how this one does. The first one is done extremely, really well. Um, so I'm thinking this one will be um, do well as well. Sorry. Uh, so I'm thinking a third volume um, after that. I'm not sure. I really like to do other types of crafts. I don't talk about it, but I do a lot of sewing. I do a lot of weaving. I paint. Um, I like writing fiction. I've always wondered if I could write a fiction book. So there's, there's at least, I think, one more volume of knitting going. I probably will never stop knitting, uh, <laughs> but I'm kind of one of those people who, you know, I don't really plan too much ahead. I'm at the age now where I, I think I have the luxury of um, kind of letting things happen. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's great. And so what, when, you, when you're sewing, what types of things do you like to sew? Do you make quilts or clothes? I do. I make quilts. I make pillow covers. I make clothes. I love knitting or not knitting. I love sewing with linen. And I do like knitting with linen as well. Because, you know, Southern, Cal- Southern California, you don't really need a coat very often. So I do have yards and yards of beautiful linen that I'm waiting to cut into. So I do a lot of that. Um, My daughter, of course, won't wear anything unless it's knit socks or caps, but no sewing. She's 13. She's not interested. Uh, (laughs) I do like, I I like weaving placemats, uh, kitchen towels. I'm just one of those people who likes to try everything. Yeah. So do you have a big loom or what kind of loom do you use? I have a knitter's loom that's the the wide one. I think it's like 20 inches or 24 inches. And then I have uh, a rigid head loom that's an Ashford. And that one is about, I don't know the widths, 
to well, probably 12 or 16 inches. It's not as big as the knitter's loom. And so I just knit, I just, I weave on those. I just took a class um, on hair, not herringbone. What is it? Um, I'm looking at it. And I can, oh, it's like a box weave. Okay. I don't know. Don't ask me. Well, that's I'm looking fine. at it. It's so, like a, it's like a box weave. Yeah. So like a herringbone the, type of box weave. What are you, what are you making with the fabric that you're weaving? Um, I, this, this is, oh, I'm, I'm not like an, like an advanced weaver. I'm just happy to be weaving. Um, this one is a scarf, but I'm, I'm doing dishcloths too and placemats. Do you crochet as well? I do. And I also, um, I was just going to say I have three sewing machines and I have a serger and I have like those little threader, you know, the bobbin threader things. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I love all this stuff. And um, I have all these like cutters. I don't even hardly know how to cut for a quilt, but I just do it. And it makes me so happy. And with, like, back to knitting, because, you know, we're, I'm a knitting person primarily. And one thing that drives people crazy when I teach classes is that I'm kind of like uh, really loose about it. You, you know, make a mistake. Ah, who cares? You know, uh, if you don't like casting on this, we go ahead and do it any old way you like. And I think I frustrate people because I'm very uh, relaxed about everything. It doesn't have to be perfect. And so with the quilting, with sewing, sewing, I'm a little bit more of a perfectionist because if I have to wear it, I don't want it to be, you know, hanging around. But the thing about crafting, I like doing it all. You know, it's all of it's fun. It, it's not it's not something to worry about. Mistakes don't matter. It's just a learning thing. It's just fun. And so I don't know. Right now, after we finish this up, I might, I don't know, not knit. I might go and pull out one of my looms and start something new or sewing. Yeah. Well, do you find that your, your other, your weaving and your sewing and the other things that you do, has that informed your knitting designs in any way? Have you, have you crossed over or brought some of the skills back or maybe tried to do something with knitting that you've learned in one of the other uh, crafts that you've been working on? No, but I would say that uh, because I was a seamstress first, I don't really know if that's the word that people use now, sewist. I used to, I used to sew all my suits and stuff oh, wow. when I worked, and so being kind of a tailory person, I think it has it informed my knitting and that I didn't want to do knitting like that. You know how you set in a sleeve when you sew something. Right. Sew the sleeve. I don't like doing that in knitting. I like it to be more freeform or all one piece and seamless. So I would say the opposite is true for me that sewing has informed my knitting in that I don't want to knit my stay away from patterned pieces. It's, it's supposed to be like that for sewing, but not for knitting in my brain. Yeah. Well, that, I, so I guess it, it has informed, it, it has informed it in just a way that you, you're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm going right. to right. do it this way. Yeah. yeah Cause it'd be kind of yeah. nice to be able to sew things in one piece and um, not have to connect a bunch yeah, of pieces. Right. That, wouldn't that be awesome? I'd probably sew a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, but it would be really architectural things. It would be all architectural things. You know, it would be boxy things. Right. But, but I like linen, so I can do that. But oh, yeah. Well, do you think you'll do you think you'll write a sewing book at some point? Is that something you even want to do? I don't know. I think I've I've thought of maybe doing p- patterns. Yeah, because I think sewing linen patterns. is really people love like like flowing because linen lends itself so well to like a 
just kind of something that's breathable and you can wear it. Um, I know in Michigan, we kind of have to always have a jacket in our car just in case <laughs> because the weather mm-hmm. changes so quickly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there, th- th- I think there'd be quite a few knitters who would probably cross over and learn to sew just because you're sewing if you put a pattern on Well, there. I think, <laughs> I, I honestly think that there are more people out there who sew um, or do other crafts uh, other than just knitting, I just, we just don't talk. I, I, I don't, we just don't talk about it. As far as trends go with, um, just, you know, this, we've seen a lot of things come back weaving now, super popular, uh, macrame is starting to come back a little mm-hmm. bit. Have you tried that? Have you gotten into the macrame at all? No, but when I was a kid, it was a big deal. And I, I still remember how to do the knots. We used to tie the main knot and work from there <laughs> sitting on the ground and um, I could probably pick it up and do it again, but I haven't yet. But I, I've looked at it. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where really do I need to add another thing. I just spent a bunch of money on watercolors, and I don't even know how to watercolor. Oh, I'm terrible so, at watercolor painting, but I've been I've been doing um, a couple it. paintings a week, um, and I'm just horrible at it. But it's one of those things where I can't remember ever in my life being so bad at something that makes me so happy. Like, I, mean, I just, it's, I, I just, I just paint circles. Oh, yeah, it's so circles. fun. Is there something, yep. there's something really great because when you're knitting, you know where the next stitch is going to go. At least you know where it's supposed to go with watercolor. It's like, so like, you don't really have total control of it at all. And I, mm-hmm. I'm tend to be sometimes too much of a control freak. So I like to watercolor because I can't control it. And I love that. I, I'm, I'm embracing mm-hmm. it. So, yeah. So it's, uh, so you have all these, um, all these uh, things, uh, supplies, it sounds like, stored up around your place, too. So I'm not the only one. Yes, who has. but I don't have a basement. In California, we do not have basements. Oh, my so goodness. So I what do you do? Less. Do you craft on the roof? I mean, what, how do you do this? Oh. No, you just have to. And we have a relatively big house, but I have a, a room that, you know, I guess you can call it my office. And I kind of try to store as much as I can in here. And then we, I converted the dining room into, it looks, there's a dining room table, but it's more rustic. Yeah, outer uh, paints and draws there, and then we have some cabinets will, that will hide a lot of. Things. So we do our main crafting in the dining room. But yeah. if you were to walk in, it would look like a dining room. We just sort of that's where we do all of our stuff. But no, we don't have a basement. We don't have any of that extra space. I'll put a link on Craft Sanity to your website so people can see uh, so many you have tons of original patterns on there that people can purchase uh, from your website there's also some classes that you've taught for a, well, a couple different outlets here um, online classes so they can take a class with you without leaving their house you don't even have to change out of your pajamas and that's uh, right <laughs> and then uh, your <laughs> books of course are all on the website too so if people want to follow along the up down all around stitch dictionary is a great companion book to the one that that preceded the one that just came out, uh, your new one. So there's a lot of inspiration there. And then you also have uh, three other books that are um, your custom designs, the custom knit series. So you do tend to do things in groups of three, I'm noticing here. Um, I guess so. so <laughs> I, I think that we might be doing another another volume. Yeah. I, have to, I have to kind of go up to making more squares. And what's really funny is that I did these two books. I've got these boxes of squares. And you know what I just did? Just completed uh, a sock yarn scrap bead quilt uh, where I made these log cabin squares out of all the different sock yarns that I've used. I just sewing it together. So when I was on hiatus after this, 
you know what I ended up doing? I knit a million other squares. So I guess I might as well knit some more squares for another book. <laughs> well, I, yeah, and people can see that uh, in uh, on your blog. You actually have this, that's what you're talking about too—the stack of the yes. squares you made that are log yeah. cabin. Yeah. yeah, and so in a way, I mean, have you made a quilt like out of fabric? Have you done that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So but it's I do kind of easy ones, yeah. Yeah, so it's funny how you know that these things do cross over because quilters can see now the possibility of what you can do if you get some nice sock yarn and get mm-hmm. stitching, and it's so fun. But no, that's very it's beautiful how that turned out. So thank you. Yeah, well, it sounds like I mean you're having a great time with your knitting and all these creative projects that you're doing. I think that's fantastic. And what a great example to your daughter too. So um, even I know I have a 12 year, my oldest is 12 and it's, it, she's definitely at that age where um, she kind of needs her own space. She retreats to her room to draw. And um, you know, even if she's not completely engaged with what I'm doing, I think it's great to um, set that example of just following your passion and doing what makes you happy and kind of, you know, if, if watercolor painting is something you feel the need to do or, you know, mm-hmm. you want to weave for a while. I think teaching our kids ways that they can kind of uh, de-stress, express themselves and just um, be happy. It's it's a, it's just such a great thing to do. And we're not saying lesson one, like follow me, kid. I'm going to show you a couple of things. We're just doing this stuff. And they watch that. They watch everything we do. So yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all, so continue to have fun over there in uh, California and send us some, some uh, warm weather here. We have some crazy weather in Michigan. Oh, you got it. <laughs> and, uh, we're, we, we were at the beach last weekend. It's crazy. That's, yeah. Now, does, so how, lucky. Cold, how cold does it get? For you, like a winter, for having something be, I know our weather's nuts, just globally our weather's crazy now, but uh, how cold is a winter for you there? Well, we haven't actually had a winter, a proper, well, we never have a proper winter, but in four years, we really haven't had any, it feels like it's about summer year round. This winter, I went down to like the 40s, but during okay. the day, it's always at least I mean, don't quote me. Sixties when it's in the web in the winter time. Yeah, that's 60s, pretty nice. Seventies. Yeah, and it's. I mean, we're in the spring now, but it's going to be in the eighties today. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That's going to be a lot hotter than Michigan. Now, are you from California? Are you? Did you grow up with this? No, I I was born in Minnesota, and I lived in Northern California until I was in middle school, and then I lived in Texas, and then came back. California in 1978, and I've been here since. So you could almost call me a native. Yeah, you you put the time in. Yeah, yeah. You, you can blend in with the locals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I show up. I'm so pale from being in Michigan indoors in the winter. Um, people are like, yeah, she's not from here. <laughs> It'd be quite oh, obvious. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm a self tanner queen. I don't. I actually. I'm afraid I don't go in the sun, but I, I do go in the sun, but with tons of sunscreen. So yeah, right in. Yeah, no, I, I'm definitely one of these, I kind of hide, um, I wear those, uh, Land's End, uh, swim, uh, shirts. Oh, full length. yeah. I mean, my, my family, we, yeah, we kind of have a history of like, we have to be careful in the sun. And so it's one yeah, of those things where you really walk, we walk all around. I, I'm so pale, but it's, <laughs> what can I do? What can I do? I just, I'm going to go inside and knit, you know, I don't know, but, um, I really appreciate the time that you've given to me today and to share your story with all of the folks at home. And I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to share that I didn't ask you. No, I just, um, everybody listening, I think that uh, what's what we had talked about is really important. You just sort of follow your bliss. You, you know, even if you can't make a living off of something like this, uh, to let whatever it might be is a really beautiful thing to uh, make your life more rich. 
A special thanks to Wendy for being a guest on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you folks at home were inspired by it as well. I will have links posted over at craftsanity.com to Wendy and her blog and uh, her social media, and also um, I'll have some information about the book there as well. In the next issue of Craft Sanity Magazine, I will be featuring the pattern that I tried. I have done some experimenting with the wavy rib pattern on page 65. I knitted that on the way to visit my mom on Mother's Day over in suburban Detroit, and I really had fun with it. It's really fun because when you realize that these stitches, I mean, just by uh, switching back and forth between knitting and purling, you really can create some really intricate-looking designs. And this was by no means one of the most intricate in the book, but I wanted something that I could do pretty quickly without having a complete mind-bender situation. And this was really fun very enjoyable. And yeah, this book is really going to get a lot of use around this house. I can tell you that because it's got the wheels turning. Stay tuned for the upcoming spring summer edition of Craft Sanity Magazine. Special thanks to all the Patreon sponsors and all those who are um, individually offering support to the show. I really appreciate it. I also want to thank acshomeandwork.com for sponsoring the show. If you would like to become a sponsor of the show, if you have a business you'd like to promote, or you want to partner in some way, you can get in touch with me. Just email jennifer at craftsanity.com, and I will reply as soon as I can. All right, folks. I'll be back soon with another episode. I have a lot recorded, so it's just a matter of getting through all the editing. So I'm going to have another one out soon. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time next week.